Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you are stepping away from your radio for any reason, uh, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, and you can download and subscribe to Detroit Today and take us with you. Listen when you are ready. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about the continent of Africa as part of our look at Black History Month here on Detroit Today. Talk about demystifying the continent of Africa. Think of how often you hear things about it that don't seem quite right or reflect people's uh, discomfort or misunderstanding about uh, the continent. We're going to talk with a professor, uh, actually the, pres- the president at Monroe County Community College, who's holding a lecture on demystifying Africa uh, as part of that college's uh, recognition of Black History Month. So that's going to take place a little later in the show. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. But up front, what is going to happen when people all over the world start running out of fresh water? water? How are we going to deal with that kind of global crisis? And what would it mean for us here in the Great Lakes region, where we have 20% of the world's available surface supply of fresh water right outside our doors? This might seem like some sort of dystopian concept right out of a Mad Max movie, but it's a reality for millions of people right now. Cape Town, South Africa, is set to run out of fresh water in mid-April. The city has plans to shut off taps to 4 million people. And as our first guest today says, is just one of many cities around the globe facing a future with too little water. That's where we want to begin the show today with this idea of running out of fresh water around the globe. As always, if you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And I would like to welcome Craig Welch. He covers the environment and natural resources for National Geographic with a focus on climate change and oceans. He's the author of a recent article, article titled, why Cape Town is running out of water, and who's next. Craig, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Sure. I, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm among the people who was somewhat unaware of the severity of the water crisis uh, in, in Cape Town. I, I knew that, that it was going on, but this idea that they will run out of fresh water uh, in just a few months uh, was was new to me. I imagine it's somewhat new to some of our listeners as well. Um, tell us first why that's happening, what the what the dynamic is that's creating uh, this water shortage that will become a crisis uh, in not very long. Sure. So Cape Town, South Africa is essentially much like California. It's a very arid place and it gets a fair amount of rain in, in part because of its most uh, commonly recognized feature, which is Table Mountain. And it gets rain coming in off the coast. And in the last three years, they have had less rain than they normally have. And almost all of Cape Town's water comes from dams from rivers that are collected in reservoirs. And the amount of water that's being used has just it, the, the reservoirs are down lower than they've ever been because they've been in three years of drought, and they haven't had that much drought in more than a century. 
And it's not entirely clear how much of this might be because weather is changing because of climate change and how much of it is because Cape Town, like many cities around the world, is growing exponentially. Um, but there's just far less water available, and it came on rather quickly. And I think both city and national officials were caught a little off guard. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the the thing that, that I think people also have to understand uh, or may not understand about Cape Town is what kind of place it is. I think a lot of people think of uh, South Africa uh, and, and, and cities there, and they think of the deep poverty <clears throat> that exists uh, for uh, particularly for Africans, uh, uh, people of a- actual African uh, descent, black Africans in those places. But but Cape Town is actually a, a pretty affluent metropolitan area, um, one of the most affluent areas on the continent of of Africa. Talk about how that has 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 played a role here in who's going to have access, who's not, and in the effort to try to to try to beat back uh, this sort of natural uh, disaster that's coming? Sure. So Cape Town is a city of about 4 million people, and a a good number of those are very affluent. There's a lot of money in Cape Town, a lot of people with nice houses and and nice landscaping. They have, you know, uh, South African wineries. There's also a fair bit of poverty in Cape Town. I think um, something in the neighborhood of just under a million people live in settlements. So Mm -hmm. there's a great deal of income disparity. And part of what's happened with water use is that a lot of the folks who are on the wealthier side, as the city over the last several months has been pleading with people to use less water, have, I guess, just not essentially believed the consequences could be as severe as they're becoming and have been unwilling to reduce water supply, use reduce their water use to the amount that the city said is necessary in order to avoid catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, and, and the poorest residents of the city are in some ways bearing the brunt of this crisis, right? Uh, the, 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 there's a narrative that says somehow they're causing it. So, the, yeah, I mean, the, the poorest residents are living in these settlements where they are already basically standing in line to get water to fill up, you know, uh, plastic jugs from taps and this is what the city is saying will happen citywide if the more affluent members of the community don't reduce water use significantly. Yeah. And the amount of water they need to, the amount of use they need to drop to is, is pretty amazing. I mean, they're asked, the city's asking people to use no more than 50 liters of water a day. And that is about enough to take one really long shower. Wow. Wow. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Craig Welch. He covers the environment and natural resources for National Geographic. He focuses on climate change and oceans. He's the author of a recent article titled, Why Cape Town is Running Out of Water and Who's Next? We are talking about the fact that the city of Cape Town, South Africa, is due to run out of fresh water in mid-April, a crisis uh, that is really hard to imagine for a major metropolitan area. Uh, we're also talking about who's next. Is this uh, a harbinger of things that will happen in cities around the planet? We're also going to talk a little later about what that means for us here in the state of Michigan, uh, as we are surrounded by the Great Lakes, which is about 20% of the world's available surface supply of fresh water. What do you think about the idea of major metropolitan cities around the globe 
running out of access to fresh water. What do you think about the fresh water we have here? How ought we be protecting that and preserving that? But maybe it is a, uh, a resource we could use to help other places around the globe with their fresh water issues. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Anna on Twitter says, I study freshwater systems and I'm so disappointed every time our state and federal government makes moves to cut funding to the Great Lakes or fails to prevent invasive species and contamination from pipelines and industry. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, we will be getting to that in the next segment, uh, specifically when we talk more about the Great Lakes. Uh, Craig Welch, you said uh, early in our conversation that Cape Town is a lot like uh, the coast of California. In, in other words, this sort of arid uh, geography, um, arid climate that, that depends on rain to replenish sources of fresh water. And that raises the question, obviously, uh, is Cape Town alone? In other words, what we're seeing in Cape Town, could that play out in other places on the globe? Could that play out in a place like California? Absolutely. Um, in fact, it already has played out in other places around the globe. In Sao Paulo, Brazil, in 2015, they were so low on water that um, at all, all around the city, there were places where people were only allowed to turn on their taps for a few hours a week, and this was millions of people, and they were within 20 days of running completely out of water, and they got hit with lucky amount of rain. The city of Melbourne in Australia has written a report where they look at the future of water in Melbourne, and they say it's possible that they could run out of water in less than 20 years. Um, and cities around India, they're already having problems. In Jakarta, Indonesia, a, a massive size city, so many people are actually drawing water themselves from underground aquifers that the city is actually sinking, and it's sinking faster than the seas are rising. And that city is also in danger of running out of water. And yes, it could happen in Southern California. It could happen in places like Las Vegas. Um, it's a pretty common problem. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the, the natural question is, so what should what should people people be doing about this? What are these cities thinking of as alternatives to the the historical sources of fresh water uh, for them? Is there enough awareness and and I guess uh, imperative uh, uh, to 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 reverse this or to find new ways to get fresh water to the millions of people who won't have it? Well, I, I think there are a couple of different questions in there. One is, is there enough awareness? And I think absolutely not. I don't think most people recognize that the way we use water is it's terribly inefficient. And this, this is true in lots of places. It's inefficient. Um, it's also it's unfair. We, also have, we often have people with more money wasting more water than people with less money need to survive. Um, that said, in places like Southern California, you have water officials who are, are acutely aware of just how much at risk they are. And, you know, California's been going through a period of, of you know, several years of drought, and then they have high snowpack that causes flooding, and then they, this year they may go through another period of drought. So 
there, city, the city officials have been working for quite a while to try and encourage less water use, to try and change, um, you know, tighten up the leaks within uh, supplies. I mean, there are all sorts of things that cities can do, but I think the biggest one is to make sure people understand that water is a precious resource that we can't wait, yeah. can't waste. Yeah. Um, you know, the the climate change narrative and discussion, I think, looms pretty large in the background of this uh, of, of this question. That's one of the things uh, that you cover at uh, at National Geographic. Uh, talk about talk about what that means and and whether there's enough evidence to show that that's uh, that that's what's driving this this issue. And then uh, again, the question is, so what do you do about it? Right. Well, so and, and climate change, as, as your listeners may have heard, that it's not always easy to say this particular storm or this particular weather event has been caused by climate change. What is clear, though, is that climate change is expected to make extreme weather events more common. So that means more droughts and more severe droughts more often. Um, and that's exactly what is being experienced in Cape Town. That's mm-hmm. what happened in Brazil. That's what happened in Southern California. And when you have this period of extreme weather that people are unprepared for, that's when you get situations like they're experiencing in Cape Town, where suddenly they go from having a normal amount of water to having to worry about shutting off taps completely. And that's exactly what climate change is promising. Yeah. Yeah, um, you you have been to to Cape Town, obviously, to to see what's going on there. Um, give us a sense of how people in the city are taking this in and uh, thinking about what's what's next. Uh, tell us what the what the, the the sort of human climate, I guess, is in anticipation of uh, of of this of this crisis. Well, I have to apologize to you. I have not actually been to Cape Town yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we, I've, I have written a story for our website by talking to people from Cape Town, but I'll be heading there this spring as the situation continues. Uh huh. Um, and and the people you talk to, what, what what's their what's their sense of all of this? Well, I think you know one of the difficulties, and this is this is very true of what happens in the United States, is that some people recognize the problem and are trying to reduce their water use. Other people are a little annoyed at being asked by the government to whom they pay taxes, have the government ask them to not use a resource they feel like they have paid for. And there's this this sort of societal conflict where some, some people just don't feel obligated to do these voluntary water restrictions. And as a result, you have some people doing their best and other people not doing much at all. And that creates its own conflict. Um, on the ground, there are places where um, people have their uh, freshwater springs, and, and the city has recently started having guards walk by the springs because there were fights breaking out mm-hmm. over people getting water to store it. Um, you've had some uh, other conflicts. There's some concern about um, whether or not other sources of water need to be protected by uh police officers as the situation gets worse. Um, so I think the city is prepared for um, things to get potentially a little rough. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine that you won't have uh, a good bit of chaos once this once this happens. I mean, the panic yes. that would be inspired by the idea that there's not enough water uh, is something that, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to picture 
um, uh, as people you know who live someplace where that's not a threat. Uh, but if the water went away, um, I would imagine that, that that people could be at each other's throats. Well, I mean, if you imagine, and, and this is a city again of four billion people, and when they shut off the taps, what the city has planned is they will they will shut off the taps when there's 13 percent of the normal capacity left in the dams, and then they will the city will control what's left, and they will have 200 watering stations where all four million people will have to go to one of those two million excuse me one of those 200 watering stations, and they will be allowed. 25 liters a day wow. from those taps. And so, you know, obviously, some people will go and get water for their entire family, but you're not going to have 20,000 people at each of those stations. But each of those stations is going to be required for to, to supply that kind of water to that many people. And how are people going to get the water from place to place? I mean, are you going to have you know, the equivalent of 20,000 or 5,000 cars lining up every day outside 200 watering stations? I think the city is still trying to figure out how this is going to come together. Yeah. Okay. Craig Welch uh, covers environment and natural resources for National Geographic. He focuses on climate change and oceans. He's the author of a recent article titled Why Cape Town is Running Out of Water and Who's Next. When we come back, we're going to talk about how our water-rich region could be affected by global water shortages. Uh, remember, if you haven't uh, heard all of Detroit Today today, had to step away from your radio, you don't have to miss out. Go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can listen when you're ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the prospect of a looming global water crisis. That's after the news that Cape Town, South Africa, is set to run out of fresh water in just a matter of weeks. Now, we want to talk about how global water shortages could affect us here in the Great Lakes. How likely is it that there will soon be more demands to tap into the wealth of fresh water we have right here in the Great Lakes? We're already seeing some of that demand uh, independent of a world water shortage. Just last week, news broke that Chinese manufacturing giant Foxconn, which is going to Wisconsin, wants to siphon 7 million gallons per day from Lake Michigan for a massive manufacturing complex in Wisconsin. Uh, what protections are in place to shield the Great Lakes from activity that could compromise the lakes? And what moral obligations do we have as a region in this situation? I'm going to continue our water conversation by focusing locally here. Uh, we, of course, want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Tell us what you think the role the Great Lakes ought to be playing is in the growing global water crisis, should we be trying to preserve as much as we can, protecting that source uh, and not allowing other people uh, maybe to share in some of that uh, resource? Or should we be thinking about ways we can leverage that resource to try to alleviate the problem worldwide? I think that's a question that increasingly is going to be on our doorsteps here in states like Michigan and Wisconsin and in Illinois, all of the states that border 
the Great Lakes. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And joining us now to talk about uh, how this affects us locally is Noah Hall. He's a Wayne State University professor of law, specializes in environmental and water law. He is the founder of the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center. Noah, welcome to Detroit Today. Great. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah. So uh, I I know that you heard that first segment with Craig Welch from National Geographic. We were talking about what's happening uh, in Cape Town. Uh, I I think the natural reaction for someone living here in Michigan uh, is fear from something like that. Fear that this resource that surrounds us uh, is going to be the subject of debate about who gets to who gets to benefit from that resource uh, in the future? Uh, I want to start the conversation there. What do you think about what's going on in Cape Town, and is there a relationship between that and the twenty percent of the freshwater supply in the world that we have around us here in Michigan? Sure. Well, um, I think uh, framing it in terms of fear is is pretty accurate and, and insightful. Um, uh, right here in the Great Lakes region, of course, we are the stewards of not only 90% of North America's available surface freshwater, uh, but as you mentioned, 20% of the world's available supply. We are the most water-rich, water-abundant part of the world. And with that wealth, I think, comes an understandable fear uh, that there'll be pressure, uh, economic or political or other pressure, uh, to share our abundance of the resource, especially as uh, folks in other parts of the world are facing um, humanitarian crises. Um, I, our, uh, we've, we addressed this fear, though, at least to some extent, about 10 years ago. Uh, all of the Great Lakes states and provinces, uh, led by the governors and provincial premiers, enacted a 10-state uh, province agreement called the Great Lakes Compact mm-hmm. that effectively bans diversions of Great Lakes water to other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And the hope uh, in that policy was that we took essentially the fear um, and maybe the protectionism um, about uh, uh, what people think of as our water, Great Lakes water. Um, But instead of making a policy based on fear and protectionism, um, we made a policy that's really based on stewardship and um, protection and management of the resource uh, for our long-term future. And in the context of that protection and management, there are some, um, uh, some pretty significant barriers and bans to distant diversions. There are, though, as you mentioned, uh, some loopholes for, for water use right here within the basin and close to the region. And the recent Foxconn proposal in Wisconsin essentially takes advantage of a loophole for a community that sits right on the Great Lakes watershed basin divide. Yeah. Um, uh, this this compact, uh, I, I know that we, we refer to that very frequently as one of the ways that we um, uh, that we want to protect and preserve uh, the Great Lakes. But at the same time, there are threats uh, to that compact uh, that that uh, I guess don't they don't violate the compact in other words this this idea of what Foxconn wants to do for instance uh, withdrawing as much water as they're planning to from it the the, the compact doesn't really protect us about, against those things tell us tell us why sure well um, the Great Lakes compact a, a compact um, just 
to, to fill in some of the blanks is, is really nothing more fancy than a uh, contract between states. It's a legally binding uh, contract agreement between the states that's also been approved by the federal government. And um, uh, once it's approved by the federal government, it has the full force and effect of federal law. Uh, the Great Lakes Compact has, has had that full force and effect for about a decade now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the most solid ways of forming law there is. Uh, but like any law, it has some compromises in it. And while it takes a very hard line against diversions of water to distant regions uh, and other countries, there are some loopholes and exceptions in the compact that allow um, municipalities close to the watershed basin divide uh, to divert Great Lakes water out of the watershed. And uh, it's one of those loopholes that Foxconn is exploiting. Foxconn is becoming a municipal customer and taking advantage of a loophole that allows a city to take extra public water. And then, of course, they're going to turn around and sell it to Foxconn. Sell it to Foxconn, right. Uh, And so I guess that raises the question about whether we need stronger provisions, whether we need stronger agreements or restrictions to be able to protect Great Lakes water. From I think, I think that's future. a great question. Um, I, I was involved in, in negotiating and drafting the Great Lakes Compact 10 years ago, and I'd be the first to admit that, uh, you know, you never do a perfect job. Um, and uh, I think it's very fair to say that uh, while we were aware of these loopholes and these exceptions, um, we did not anticipate uh, in, uh, industries like Foxconn coming to the Great Lakes region to take advantage of them. Um, if it turns out that Foxconn is, is more than a, a one-time exception but becomes uh, a trend and um, indicative of a, of a bigger problem, then I think absolutely tightening up uh, the Great Lakes Compact and, and clamping down on this loophole would be warranted. But for now, I would say um, let's see if it's a one-off and deal with some of the more pressing drinking water, affordability, access, and safety issues here in the region. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Noah Hall. He's a Wayne State University professor of law, specializes in environmental and water law. He's the founder of the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center. We are talking about the precious resource of the Great Lakes, 20% of the world's available surface supply of fresh water in the context of a growing global water crisis. Cape Town, South Africa, scheduled to run out of fresh water in mid-April. Several other places around the planet facing the scarcity of fresh water. What is the role that our stewardship of the Great Lakes ought to play in those crises and in the greater narrative about access to fresh water on the globe. Should we be protectionist in the sense of making sure that uh, the Great Lakes are not used uh, or misused uh, in a way that, uh, that that spoils their availability for fresh water? Or should we be thinking about ways that our abundance, relative abundance of fresh water, can help alleviate this crisis elsewhere. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET 
Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Annette called, could not stay on the line. She said she lived overseas in Israel. Water is a big deal in other parts of the world, unlike here. She says we should talk about ways that we can conserve water. Uh, Annette, thank you for that call and that comment. Let's go to Mark in Detroit. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for talking with me. Mm-hmm. I believe that we should do everything we can to preserve the Great Lakes, and we should keep it as clean and pristine as possible. We should also prevent abusive uses, and I think Foxconn and Nestle bottling water and shipping it out of the area for profit, that would be, in my opinion, abusive uses. But at a certain point, if people are suffering because they have no water to drink, whether it's in the United States or other parts of the world, we need to share that water because God put it here for everyone. And to hoard it while others are dying or suffering would just be morally wrong. I think. Yeah. yeah, Mark, a great, great insight there, and I'm glad you called to add that to the conversation. Uh, no, I'll talk about this idea of uh, preservation versus hoarding, or the idea uh, that we ought to protect the Great Lakes for ourselves, or whether we ought to be protecting them because they represent so much of the freshwater supply on the planet and that we can use that somehow to help other people. Is that is that a tension that is playing out or is going to play out more dramatically? Sure. In the future? Uh, you know, to be, to be uh, honest, I'm not a Michigan native. I, I moved here... Um, <laughs> 20 years ago, really, to work on water issues. Mm-hmm. And that tension uh, has been apparent in every water dispute, fight, legal battle, um, and uh, new, new discussion over any laws and policies that we've encountered. Uh, at the core, I think folks here really uh, in, oftentimes embody both views. Um, there's a sense that the Great Lakes is ours, and that, uh, and especially with uh, the loss of some jobs and and manufacturing to other parts of the country and other parts of the world, uh, there's a tremendous sense that this is our water, and if folks want to use it, uh, they should come here and bring jobs back here mm-hmm. to use the water. At the same time, though, um, uh, and I don't want to minimize that feeling, but at the same time, I do think that this region and and uh, all of the individuals here really have a sense of stewardship of the Great Lakes that's far deeper uh, and more meaningful than simply saying it's ours, uh, mine or yours. The sense of stewardship is really that um, uh, we know that we're blessed to have this abundant resource here, and we know that with that wealth comes responsibility. And um, from our political leaders uh, down to uh, everybody I've talked to about Great Lakes issues, there's this sense that... um, uh, we want to care for the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Great Lakes Compact, I think, embodied uh, that um, uh, both senses uh, when it was drafted 10 years ago. It not only um, prevents, like I said, folks from other parts of the world from diverting the Great Lakes water, but put in place a lot of legal responsibilities about how we use it more efficiently at home. The, the caller discussing uh, water efficiency in other countries is spot on. And the Great Lakes Compact... Uh, does require us to become more efficient uh, water users here in the region. There is a provision in the Great Lakes Compact 
that allows for diversions of water for humanitarian crises. Mm -hmm. And that provision's never been tested. Uh, we very much anticipated coming water crises in, in other cities uh, around the world and, and even in the U.S. in coming decades, uh, and left essentially a, a provision in there that uh, leaves open the possibility of humanitarian water, but leaves very uncertain what the terms and restrictions, uh, how that would play out. And uh, as humanitarian crises are emerging around the world, uh, I would urge the, uh, the governors who are charged with implementing the Great Lakes Compact to be proactive and uh, think about what a humanitarian policy might look like and uh, how humanitarian relief from the Great Lakes might be provided without threatening the overall supply of the Great Lakes here for the region. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to pivot just a little bit here in the conversation. Uh, I think it would be remiss if we didn't discuss the non-climatic uh, threats to fresh water that we see playing out here in the state of Michigan. Think of the Flint water crisis where uh, man-made error uh, caused an entire city to drink from a poisoned water supply. Think of the Detroit uh, water system and the shutoffs, the massive number of shutoffs that we've seen in the last few years that have left people without water, uh, access to water. Uh, I want to play a short clip. Uh, this is from Melissa Mays, an activist in Flint. Uh, it's been years since residents of that city have started noticing problems with this water, and still to this day, a lot of folks cannot use their water for drinking or bathing. Melissa Mays recently talked about her family situation with WDET's Quinn Kleinfelter. We are still living off of bottled water. Each uh, We have two bathrooms. Each of our shower heads have about $150 in filters. It looks like this Frankenstein thing that we've got. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Um, we went away to uh, visit family and such for Christmas and came back, and my face, my kids' arms back just blistered up after showering. And we even changed the filters when we got back because if you let them sit, they can grow bacteria. Plus, our water's still yellow at times, so it smells terrible. And just the skin rashes and everything, it's just, it's just horrible. So, again, uh, lead isn't our only problem, but they're not even properly addressing that. That was Melissa Mays, a Flint water activist, talking with WDT's Quinn Kleinfelter about the ongoing inability of people in Flint to use the fresh water that we have in the Great Lakes for drinking or bathing. Uh, Noah Hall, I want to get your reaction to put... The Flint water sure. crisis and the shutoffs in Detroit, which also have left a lot of people without access to fresh water in the context of this conversation. Where does that all fit? Sure. Well, and, and first of all, thanks for uh, sharing the voice of Melissa Mays. Uh, she's a, a tremendous activist and, and uh, has been working on this issue uh, and getting results for people in Flint for a couple of years now. Um, I think the way you frame it, Stephen, is, is spot on. While um, nature and climate are the major threats and causes of water crises around the world. Uh, here in Michigan, government and inequity are our greatest threat to people's availability and access to drinking water. Mm -hmm. Nature left us plenty of water here in the Great Lakes region. We're literally surrounded, as we said, by 90% of North America's available surface freshwater. But folks in Detroit and Flint um, have been denied access to water uh, and been given unsafe water entirely at the hands of government and as a result of inequity and injustice. Mm 
Mm-hmm. There is enough money to provide people with water, and there is enough water to go around. It's simply a matter of the governance and the equity of how we make it available. And um, essentially, uh, our legal system is behind many other countries in not recognizing a human right to water, a human right to water that would give people a right uh, not only to water of adequate quality and quantity, but also affordability. And that human right to water, uh, uh, which should be an essential part of our constitutional and human rights, um, would ensure that while we have water crises and water policy management and water pollution problems, at the end of the day, uh, as long as there's enough water for everyone, then everyone should have enough water to live. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page or go to Twitter. Hashtag us, and we'll work you into the conversation. Angela in Detroit. Angela, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, good morning. Hi. I'm calling because I think this conversation is a little bit too skinny. Okay. Water is... There's enough on the earth for all of us, but a whole lot of it is in the air because of what we're allowing to continue, which is global warming. There are all kinds of things that could be done uh, just regarding water, for instance. Um, Bottled water. Mm -hmm. I see that I work at a church and people bring in cases of bottled water for their meeting. Some of them are half-empty some of them are sitting there waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah. Um, that creates two problems. One is a waste of water, and one is plastic, which winds up in the ocean and kills the fish. Sure. So dealing with that issue isn't going to happen real fast, but it's real necessary. Yeah. Some people run the water the whole time they're brushing their teeth. Sure. That is just, it's wasteful. well, stupid. Yeah. I won't go any farther. Yeah. We could be as a matter of course, putting in composting toilets, which don't use any water and give us wonderful earth at the end of it that we can put out in our yards. Speaking of yards, green grass requires lots of water. We can plant uh, ground covers that don't require lots of water that right. take it from yeah. the rain. You know, Angela, uh, th- th- those are all really interesting ideas, uh, and, and I think that you're right. That that's got to be part of the conversation, too. How do we change the way we think about uh, water and water use uh, as a way of preserving more of it? Um, uh, thank you very much for the call. Okay, Noah Hall, Wayne State University professor of law, specializing in environmental and water law, founder of the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk about how we can and should demystify the continent of Africa. Stay with us here on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.